you have your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12. And I want to look at this section that closes out um, chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse uh, 49. Luke chapter 12 and verse 49. Jesus' words here in a very heavy and weighty uh, section of Scripture. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father and the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother and the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he said also to the people... When ye see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, There will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him." Lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence, till thou hast paid the very last might. I title the message tonight, Fire, Suffering, and Division. Fire, Suffering, and Division. Somebody has said that this is one of those, uh, what they call, hard sayings of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, Jesus gave some sweet, precious words soaked with grace that um, you would think would melt anybody's heart. And then Jesus gave some very hard and difficult and weighty words. And we have to hear them all. And this is a section that we have here. I doubt that any of you um, have a memory verse that goes like this. There shall be three against two and two against three in the same house. That doesn't, we don't post those on our mirrors and understandably so. But, but our Lord spoke them, and, and they have great meaning and weight uh, behind them. So here's my goal for this passage. I think it's the, pas- the Lord's goal for the passage is that this passage is intended to give a jolt to our consciousness about Jesus. It's intended to give a jolt to our consciousness about Jesus. It, it should stir up love and admiration for him and his willingness to suffer um, for sinners This passage should give us understanding about why there's conflict for the followers of Christ. And we pray that it awakens those who've not embraced Jesus to the urgency of doing so. You have warning in this passage. You have um, uh, words that speak of Christ's incredible love and commitment to sacrifice and also words of great warning and weight and power here. So again, this is to give us a jolt to our consciousness about Jesus. Now, all the things that I just said, all these things I just said, and, and really, and, and let me just back up and say what we really have here, Jesus tells us three reasons he's come. There, there's more in the Bible, but three reasons he's come. One is he's come to purify and destroy with fire. One, two, he's come to redeem through suffering, which we'll hope to see in a moment. And then thirdly, he's come to give division. So all of those things, destruction and purifying through fire, Redemption from sin through suffering, coming to give division, all those things presuppose that things are not as they ought to be. 
Because, see, if, if the world was just filled with human beings who just delighted in the Lord and loved Him, and, and as a result loved one another, there would be no need for redemption, would there? There would be no need for Christ to come and to, to redeem broken, ruined, fallen sinners. If there was not rebellion against God, there would be no need for the fires of judgment. If there, was not, um, if there was not hearts that were divided about who Jesus is and what He has done, there would be no division. right? If everybody just loved Christ and everybody saw His beauty and His glory, there would be no division. But because the world is broken by human sin, uh, that's why we have division. And that's why we have a need of the fires of judgment and purification. And that's why there's a need for redemption. So, really, this is a very relevant passage in so many ways. This is the, it, here's, here's really what we have here. Jesus Christ is a lightning rod. Jesus is a lightning rod. And I may say this again, but I'll say it now. Every one of you here tonight, and every human being, will have to respond to Jesus in some way. Every, every person, every human being, at one point or another, will respond to Jesus in one way or another. And there's your lightning rod. Because there's so many different responses to Christ. There's one right response, amen, but there's so many wrong and diff- varied responses to Jesus. And that's really what you have here. Jesus is he's, he's saying, I am here, and people respond to me in different ways, and I've come for these purposes, and this reveals very much about the human heart. So all of that said, that's why that in the last few weeks that dozens of Christian Church buildings have been burned in, uh, in the state of Manipur in North India. Brother Goon has been sending reports about that. This is why, the truth of this passage, Jesus himself is why that all this month, all this month you and I will be inundated with message after message after message telling us that, um, that sexual deviancy and perversion is to be boasted in and celebrated and gloried in. And if that you do not celebrate these sinful choices that you are hateful and less than loving. And that's, that's the reality of the world that we live in, isn't it? So Jesus' words are so very relevant. They always are, but they were especially, where we can, I can clearly see they're very relevant for us in this time that we're living in. That's why that you may get weird looks, um, snide comments, or worse, from co-workers or from relatives or from just whoever because of... What you love about Jesus, and you really want to take him seriously and follow him. So, Jesus just really says it plain and clear in these passages. So, let's, let's look at this for a little while tonight. Jesus came, verse 49, he came to purify and destroy with fire. Verse 49, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? That last expression could be said really that it's it's as if it's not all the way done yet and Jesus is longing for it to be done. So I've come to send fire on the earth and I would almost, and it's already fully done and accomplished, kind of like what he says in verse 50. There's a number of different views about exactly what what Jesus means here. I may not get it perfectly, but I do think that Scripture helps us interpret it. So in the very last, I'll just read it quickly, the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, one of the prophecies of the Messiah, Malachi 3 verse 2, He says, but who may abide the day of his coming? Jesus is coming. And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering 
in righteousness. Now in Matthew chapter 3, remember Malachi 3, what's said there, but now Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist's words here in Matthew 3, verse 10, verse 11, or verse, verse 10, and now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees, therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So fire has at least two, um, two things it accomplishes. It purifies and it consumes, doesn't it? It purifies and it consumes. And it depends on, uh, on one level, it depends on the substance upon which the fire is applied. So there in Malachi, we see of this, this purifying, this, this, positive, um, this positive response, or this positive result of the fire that, that, that the, the sons of Levi, the people of God, will be purified and they'll offer up a, a pure offering in righteousness after the fire has come. Then you have in Matthew 3, here's a, a different response to the fire. And these are, they're, they're burned up with unquenchable fire. This is the tree that doesn't bear fruit. This is the unrepentant. And so it's cut down and thrown into the fire. It's the chaff that's not the wheat that's worthless, different from the wheat. And it's, it's, it's consumed with the fire. So when Jesus Christ came, Jesus came with light. He came with purity. He came with truth. And Jesus came with a fire of his person, of his work, of his teaching and preaching. And it exposed the wickedness of all who are around him. He said it in John 3, here's the condemnation, light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. So Jesus with his words, with his, with his, his powerful truth that could not be denied, exposed the darkness, the evil, and the wickedness. Some, by God's grace, responded well. They said, it's right, it's true. We repent, we turn from that, we turn to you, Lord. We want to hear your words. You have the words of eternal life. We want to be led and guided by you. Others said, no, you know, it, it, all the excuses. Give us, give us more signs, Jesus. Um, give, us more, give us more evidence, then maybe we'll listen to you. And those who go on in that way are, are ultimately consumed with the fire. Another element, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He bab- they were baptized with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost the, with divided tongues of fire. So the, the Lord's ministry continued as the Spirit empowered um, the church to proclaim the gospel. And the same thing's happening today. Some are being purified by the fiery work, the glorious fiery work of Jesus. And they're purified by it. They embrace it. They receive it. It purifies them. Others reject they reject. They, they're repulsed by the fire. They don't want their sins exposed. The way of salvation that's exposed, they, they don't want it. They reject it. They turn from it. And yet, it's not all the way done yet, is it? Jesus is saying, would that it were already kindled. Because there's yet coming a fire. The fire has come. Just like the kingdom has come. In one sense, it's inaugurated, but not yet consummated. A fire has come. In one way, the judgment has begun. You see different, you see the judgment at Jerusalem in AD 70, different judgments have come, and yet there will be one final judgment and one day, eternal day of the forever fire. It's heavy. It's heavy, isn't it? See, some people will say, I, I'm, I am good with Jesus, but my kind of Jesus, right? 
I want a Jesus who will, who will celebrate everything about me. I, I want a Jesus who will uh, love me and, and, and let me do what I want to do and get me out of problems and troubles when I need him and heal me when I'm sick. That's the kind of Jesus I want. Not a Jesus, and, and that's just not Jesus. That's not the true Jesus. Second Thessalonians, he mentioned First Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians speaks of inflaming fire. He will come, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. It's heavy, isn't it? Heavy words. That's your Jesus, the world might say. That's your Jesus? Love? I thought there was some love going on with Jesus. But, you know, as followers of Jesus, we have to, with, with meekness, with gentleness, respect, proclaim his message, declare his truth, But let me tell you, it is loving to speak the truth of Jesus. It's loving to speak the truth of Jesus. Our culture doesn't want us to. It does not want us to. It wants us to, and and even some professing Christians are being pulled away and saying, let's let's kind of uh, of edit the message a bit so it will somehow be more palatable to the larger culture, and then maybe somehow we can get an inroad that way, and it just, it won't work. It never works. Never works. let's Let's just imagine this. Let's just imagine there's a big party going on, okay? And people are having a great time. There's music and there's dancing. People are slapping each other in the back. They're taking uh, photos together. It's just a great, wonderful time. But there's a problem. The building that they're in where the party is happening is being engulfed in flames. So, so what do you do? You say, man, I don't, I don't... Who wants to be a party pooper, right? <laughs> who, who wants to say, it's over. You've got you to gotta leave. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I want to be loving. Is that loving? Or it's like I say, hey, y'all, the building's on fire and there's only one way out. Okay, there's only one way out and you've got to get out now because this thing's going to burn down. Brothers and sisters, it is burning and it's going to burn some more. And there's only one way out and it's only through this one Jesus. Through his death and burial and resurrection. That's the only hope for sinners. No wonder John the Baptist had some hair on his preaching. He said, repent, Okay. Because there's fire coming. The ones who yet are living in sin, they're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And you know what? In that day, even the ones who didn't agree with John the Baptist, they respected him. They said, you know, we, this guy, he's not making stuff up. He's, we, we, better, we, we probably better at least listen to him. Well... There's the fire. Then Jesus also speaks of, of redemption. Of, of redemption, he's purifying and destroying with fire. But then verse 50, he came also to redeem through suffering. Verse 50, he says, But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Now, this is not talking about Jesus' water baptism. Obviously, that's back in the early chapters of Luke, as you know, at the beginning of his um, public ministry. But here Jesus is speaking, he's speaking of a baptism of suffering. A baptism of suffering. He's talking about the cross. Now, can we just stop for a moment? Remember the Jesus that people don't like because he talks about fire? Okay? If Jesus' only message for us is Luke 12, 49, he's just to just do Luke 12, 49. Right? If if it's just fire, he's just. that's, That's what we all deserve. But there's Luke 12, 50. Praise God. Right? There's Luke 12.50 where Jesus is talking about, oh yes, 
There is, there is something else coming. Not just the fire, but there's a baptism that I am to be, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straight until it be accomplished? Jesus is talking about how that he is going to be inundated. He's going to be submerged. He's going to be swallowed up with the waves of God's wrath on the cross. So that fire we're just talking about, Jesus is going to suffer the equivalent of that fire on the cross for sinners like you and like me. Jonah, a type of Christ, what happened to Jonah? He was thrown into the sea. And if you read Jonah 2, listen, there's some powerful stuff there. His poetic language, but Jonah's like, the waves are compassing me. The billows are overflowing me. He's a picture of Jesus. Like Jesus as if on the cross, that wave after wave after wave of the wrath of God crushes God's Son on the cross. So that people will be rescued from the fire. That ought to make you love Jesus. So that people will be rescued from the fire. Listen. Think about the benefits. If you're a believer in Jesus tonight, think about your relationship with the Lord. I'm just going to, can I give you a little window into me? Okay. So last night, last night, confession time, I just spoke to my wife in just an unfair, uh, just a not a good way. And thank the Lord immediately, boom, the arrow came. Thank the Lord that the arrow came. Oh, that was wrong. And you, you, men, what do you do? You try to talk yourself out of it, and really it was her fault. And, go, and I was like, nope, just got to go confess. Made it right. Thank she's a forgiving woman. Praise the Lord. Um, and it bothered me for a little bit. Then I thought, praise God. Like, isn't that amazing? That just one sin is enough to condemn me to hell. Just one sin. And yet... In God's mercy, I can, it's not okay, I need to learn from the sin, you know, I, I am, we're good, <laughs> but, but, uh, but Israel is small, forgives me and cleanses me, and then I can move on and I'm free. Isn't that amazing? That's, listen, all of that goes back to the Luke 12, 50. And all, that's a benefit we receive because Jesus was inundated with God's wrath on the cross to set us free from the bondage of our sin and our guilt before God. Praise be to Christ. But look at his focused. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? That word straightened is the idea of, of something that's, that's pressed together. It's the same word as uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains us. One translation has it distressed, the idea of pressed together, pressed together. So here you get a little um, insight, little window into the heart and mind of Jesus as he's walking on this earth knowing that there is a work for him to accomplish. There's a baptism of suffering he's going to face. And Jesus, he just can't quite be all the way at rest until it's done. Isn't that amazing? He, he, there's something that's got to be done. So he's pressed together. He's, 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 his, his mind is on it. His focus is on it. He's, his pinpoint focus is on the work that the Father has given him to do. I love what Philip Graham Ryken says about this. I'll just read it to you because I can't improve on it. It says, With his heart set on accomplishing the great work of our salvation, he pressed relentlessly toward his baptism of the cross. Apart from his willing sacrifice, we could never be saved. Isn't that something? He pressed relentlessly toward the cross. Look, Look at that love. Look at that sacrifice of Jesus. Look at that focus. And I think one of the themes, one of the things we see throughout the Gospel of Luke is the focus of Jesus on his mission. So all the way back when he's 12 years old, 
in the temple. And his mom and dad have lost him and coming to find him. He said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And then I think it's Luke 4. They're trying to get him to go heal some more folks. He says, whoa, look, look. I've got to go to some other towns to preach the gospel of the kingdom. I must do it because I was sent for that purpose. And then in Luke 9, he's talking to his disciples in verse, um, in verse 22. He says to them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Just a, just a few verses later and not long in time later, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah appear. And what are they talking about? They're not talking about the weather. They're talking about his decease that he'll accomplish at Jerusalem. His mind, his focus is on this. And then in Luke 9, 51, there's kind of a shift in the Gospel of Luke. It says in verse 51, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. What's happening there? His death. So his focus is on this all all the way to the end. And we're to see this. We're to see this with admiration. We're to see this with joy of the relentless focus of Christ on his mission. Anybody here ever uh, struggle with distraction from the main thing? <laughs> you know, we, we read Philippians 3 and this one thing I do, pressing toward the mark. We say, yes, amen, that's what I want. And then we say, oh, but I've got four things or five things. And I do this. We want to. We look at Jesus and we see Jesus was totally focused on his mission. Well, should this love, should this commitment, should this amazing sacrifice of Christ, should this not be a motivator to us to put our sins to death? When we see one who's so focused, we say, Lord, I look at your baptism of suffering. Help me to die to my sin. Shouldn't this be motivation to stir us up to endure trial? and difficulty and heaviness in a faithful way. Jesus was bearing it. This was heavy for him. It's heavy upon his soul, and yet he's faithful. We, we strive for that. We, we want to do that, but let me give you some words of comfort. We're not always faithful and focused, are we? <laughs> but Jesus was. Jesus was. Sometimes we don't do very well with trials. Sometimes we just don't. We, sometimes the, the verses are coming to mind and we're laying hold of the promises and we're saying, yes, I'm in the fire, I'm going to trust. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm enduring by it with joy. I, I can count this joy. And other times we're floundering and, and we're flunking. <laughs> That's the reality. We, we don't want to, but we do. But here's the comfort. Jesus bore his trials perfectly. And so we're redeemed not by our faithfulness, which is imperfect, but by His perfection. Isn't that wonderful? We're redeemed because He was perfectly focused and He perfectly bore this difficulty and this trouble on the cross, and He did it for our redemption. So Jesus came to purify and to destroy with fire. He came for a baptism of suffering to bring redemption. And then in verse 51, Jesus came to bring division. Strange verse, admittedly so. Jesus says... And he, he kind of has to talk them into it. He says, suppose ye that I'm come to give peace on the earth. This is what y'all think, right? Suppose ye that I'm come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father. Think about that. The mother against the daughter, the, daughter against the, uh, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Say, what, a, what in the world? 
Well, this is where it's so important to rightly divide the word of truth, isn't it? And to compare scripture with scripture. So here's the truth. Jesus did come to give peace and he came to give division. And you're like, you sound just like a politician. <laughs> Jesus did come to bring peace. We, we know it from Luke, uh, the angel. We got good news. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. We have uh, Isaiah, I think, 7, the prophecy, the prince of peace. We have Jesus coming, and he is establishing uh, peace between a holy God and sinful people. And so Jesus reconciles sinners to God. And, and Jesus, by his grace, by the work of the Spirit, transforms people and brings them to faith in Christ. And uh, one of my favorite verses of all time, Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said in, um, in John 14, when he's about to leave, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And we have verses like the peace of God that passes all understanding. Jesus is the prince of peace, isn't he? He's the prince of peace. He brings peace between a holy God and sinful people. And, and what he's done for us is to shape our relationships, isn't it? So he, he, he says things like, blessed are the peacemakers. That requires a lot of humility, doesn't it? That requires a lot of forgiveness, a lot of generosity, a lot of mercy. Jesus um, calls us to, he, he calls us to choose meekness and gentleness over harshness and all the rest, to forgiveness over vengeance and bitterness. So his peace is real, it's deep, it's glorious. It, is, uh, it does pass all understanding, but he does bring division. He does bring division. How so? It's really like we are, what we already have said. That light has come and darkness is repulsed by the light. Let's look back at the very first murder. Look in 1 John chapter 3. The very first set of brothers. In 1 John 3, in verse 11. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. He killed his brother. Why? Wherefore slew? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Then the application. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Division. Division. Remember Abel. Abel offers a sacrifice by faith, Hebrews 11 tells us. Abel sees he will need bloodshed for him. What does Cain do? Cain is the very, if I remember right, the very first guy who had false religion, right? What does he do? He offers the works of his hands, brings the fruit of the field of his labors to God, and he's rejected. And it wasn't just he was just a sincere guy, just didn't quite have it. No, he, he was religious and he was wicked. <laughs> he was wicked. And so because Abel's righteousness exposed Cain's darkness, Cain said, I'm getting rid of you. And he killed him. And then John says, don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Because all those who are in Christ reflect the light of Christ, and the world is driven by darkness and that which is opposed to Christ. And so we have division because Jesus is a lightning rod. And because depraved humanity does not delight in and admire and see the glory and the beauty and majesty of Jesus. They don't see the beauty that it is to be ruled by Jesus. 
Remember the parable Jesus gave? Who is this man that he should what? Rule over us. But see, those who, in whose hearts Christ reigns, they see the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And they see it's good for him to be my king. It's good for him to rule over me. It's good to walk in his ways. It's good to try to be a peacemaker. It's good to be poor in spirit and to long for righteousness and to reflect God's glory. And when that clashes with the world's way, wow, the sparks fly. The sparks fly because the light exposes the darkness. And it can be so intense that he says even in the same household. Now, Jesus is not saying this is a universal thing. Praise God. There's a lot of happy families here united in Jesus. You just stop and say praise God for that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let it be so much more. But it's not always. It's not always. The son against the dad? The daughter against her mom? You know something else this tells us? Is that one of God's greatest gifts is not more valuable than Jesus. One of God's greatest gifts is family, isn't it? He made it. It's his invention. But there's something even more precious than that. And that's Christ. And you know what's amazing? We, we have a lot of people in our church at Collierville who to some degree have division in their homes because some love Christ and others don't. But those of us who are in Christ, we have a tighter bond than even blood. Isn't that beautiful? A tighter bond than even blood because it's Jesus and what He's done and His Word and His truth. So another thing it tells us is that this great gift of family that God's given us that we celebrate, that I'm not talking it down tonight, praise the Lord for it. You know what? Your family on earth is a temporary family. I'm sorry, but there will not be a Beecham section in heaven <laughs> or a guest section or whoever else. It'll be all the redeemed. I don't know if we'll have a last name or not, but it'll be all the redeemed. And we're all together rejoicing and glory in Christ together. But down here below, it's not always that way, is it? Even sometimes in homes, there's great division because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. He must be worthy of that. He must be worthy of that. There's, there's oftentimes a cost to pay for faithfulness to Jesus. A cost to pay for faithfulness to Jesus. Lord, I'm not sure I want that version of Jesus. I'm not sure I want that version. But here again, Jesus is, is the lightning rod. And, listen, here again, and it's going to get probably increasing more in, in our culture, the more that we are staying true to Jesus, the more we will attract the hatred, the insults, the vitriol, the violence of this world. Will we be faithful to Jesus? So this past week, a, um, a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, because he promoted something regarding Pride Month from a Christian perspective, was, must have gotten the treatment behind doors and gave you know, this mealy mouth apology. Another pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers gave a very humble and yet bold and faithful statement and he basically said, baseball is great, but Jesus is more important. I might lose the baseball, but I don't want to lose Jesus. Okay? I'm, not, I'm praying for the Toronto Blue Jays guy because I am no better than him. I might do the exact same thing. I would without grace. But you, but you see, you see, 
there's the issue that's pressed. And I want to be like this guy. You probably, if you've heard of him, it's been a while, if you hadn't read in 2 Samuel in a while. But back in 2 Samuel 15, there's a guy called Ittai the Gittite. Okay? And I want to be like this guy. Because he gives us, it's powerful. So this is when um, Absalom is revolting against David. And pretty much everybody's having to choose. Am I going to be with Absalom, stay in Jerusalem, be on his team? Or am I going with David? Am I going with the king? And so Ittai the Gittite wasn't even, he was in verse 19, it says that, well, he comes to the king. David says to him, Wherefore goest thou with us? Return to thy place, abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. Man, you're a foreigner. You're not even from here. You haven't even been here long. You don't have to go with me. Just save yourself the trouble. And here's what Ittai responded to David in verse 21. He answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or in life, even there also will thy servant be. He said, Lord, help me be like old Ittai. towards Jesus, the greater David. Lord, whether in great suffering, whether in insults and vitriol, whether in losing something economically, whether in death, help me to be faithful to Jesus. There's only one way to God. You're telling me that, that you know, your version of morality, like somehow I can't live that way, that's, that's hatred, that's evil. And that's, that's how it will be branded. And it is branded, isn't it? It's, it's not, let's go kill these people because they're good Christians. They, they won't paint us as, as uh, uh, good martyrs. It's, it's, you're hateful. You're a threat. You're unhealthy for society. You're, 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 you're in, in the name of safety, we must eliminate you or eliminate your influence. So we like to think, maybe I'll be like Tyndale, just burn at the fire for Jesus, but probably won't be that way. You're a scoundrel. You're a threat to society. Let's get you out of here. But Lord, help us. But you see, Jesus is worthy of this. That's what you see here also. If Jesus isn't dead and risen, please don't put yourself to any discomfort, folks, okay? If he's not dead and risen, please don't hurt for that. Oh, but he is risen. And so he's worthy. He's worthy for us to say, Lord, in life or in death, I want to stand with the king, with King Jesus. Let me, I know our time's short. Let me, run, let me run through this because I think it's important to get the whole setting of this text. Jesus goes on to say, let me, let me say this very clearly. Okay, let me say it very clearly. Jesus spoke to people as if they were responsible. Okay? We believe in total depravity and in sovereign grace and all the rest, but Jesus, and he, he believes it better than we do, uh, Jesus did not apply total depravity as if we do not speak to people as if they're responsible. So, so you don't say, let me do a spiritual x-ray on you and see if you're born again, and then I'll tell you the gospel. That, that's, that's not how, that's a wrong application of true doctrine. Jesus just spoke the truth, the, the apostles spoke the truth, the Lord knows that he can handle all the response, can't he? But Jesus said, look, and he's, he's talking to them as if they ought to be able to figure this out. You're responsible. When you see a cloud rise out of the west, verse 54, straightway you say there comes a shower, and so it is. So when they can look out west over the Mediterranean, see a cloud coming in, nine times out of ten, it's going to rain. When you see the south wind blow from the desert, you say there will be heat. It's going to be a hot one coming in, and it comes to pass. Ye hypocrites, you could discern the face of the sky and of the earth. How is it that you do not discern this time? <laughs> you, can, you're, you can tell the weather. Can't you see? Can, can you not understand? 
He goes on, verse 57. Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what's right? Why can't you see this? And then he brings this up that almost seems out of place, but I think, I think he's just carrying this to its conclusion. When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart from thence till thou hast paid the very last might. You might say, man, why did Luke throw that in there? I think here's what's happening. He's using a common illustration from what they would understand of something they need to understand spiritually. If a guy's got a problem with you with the court of law, man, try to settle out of court. Try to settle out, because listen, you don't want to have to go there and pay the full penalty of the whole thing. Try to settle out of court if you can. They can understand that. Jesus is saying to his generation, this people who are hearing, you better get right. You better get right. Wake up. There is fire of judgment that's coming. I have a baptism to be baptized with. That's the only source of rescue from the fire. Can't you see? Can't you discern? Can't you understand? So I repeat, I'll end the way that I started. This passage is designed to give us a jolt to our consciousness about Jesus. It should move us to love and admire Him for His willingness to suffer the, bad, the, the, suffer, the baptism of suffering on the cross for wretched sinners to save us from the fire. And by the work of the Spirit, may it awaken those who have not embraced Him to say, Lord, I need You. I need You. I need, I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. It's not a game. It's real. May God... Bless us to see the holiness of Jesus and the incredible grace of Jesus all at the same time. And all throughout Luke's gospel, all throughout Luke's gospel, you see a Jesus, the Jesus, the true Jesus, who speaks stern words of condemnation. And you also see this same Jesus delighting to receive repentant sinners. You see it in Luke chapter 7 with the woman who everybody in town knew was a sinner. And he says, daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has saved you. You're forgiven. Go in peace. You you, you see it on the cross with the thief who has, by the Spirit of the Lord, come to his senses as repentant of his sin. Lord, remember me. This day you will be with me in paradise. So all of us here, every human being in one way, shape, or form will have to respond to Jesus. May our response be, Lord, I come to you for mercy. I come to you for grace. One thing I forgot to say, I think it's so important to say that there will be division. As as he clearly said, But Jesus never told us to go pick a fight. He said in Romans 12, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. And then in 1 Timothy 2, we're praying for our leaders. Why? So that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So, so the conflict will come to us. It will come to us as we're faithful. But I'm so glad he said that. I intended to emphasize that, that I, we are to reflect the gentleness and meekness and mercy and grace of Christ in a, a fallen and flawed culture. But don't leave a night thinking you have to go um, get your sword out and go pick a fight with somebody for Jesus' sake. If you're faithful to him, the conflict will come.